Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shane Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Work. Guys, I am back with my friend, the economist, Matt Saloy. We are talking about practice ownership. We are talking about equity for veterinarians and vet professionals. What is possible in this modern world of corporatization where uh, there's private equity groups buying up practices? We have corporate practices. We have a wide variety of opportunities for ownership. Um, what, what do we need to know? How does this work? How does it look in the future? Uh, it, is the old style of practice ownership dead and gone? Uh, is private equity going to stick around the way that it has? Or is that a passing phase? Guys, we unpack all this stuff. Let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Matt Salord. Thanks for being here again. Hey, great to be here. Thank you. Uh, I always appreciate your time. Uh, so you've been on the on the podcast a number of times. Uh, for those who don't know you, you are a PhD economist. You are the president of the veterinary study groups. You work with the VMG groups, the vet management groups quite a bit. And you have been a, uh, a guest on this podcast uh, at least three times now. So uh, awesome. That's, I can't uh, believe it. <laughs> as a, as a, as a, I don't know how big a, an accolade that is. Oh, it's a big probably one. just pretty low on the CV, but no, really great to be here. I enjoy our conversations. Oh, I always do. And said, I, I've, there's just a number of things that I've been I've been really interested uh, in recently, and you're sort of in a position to help me look at it uh, outside the box and 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 to see what's possible. And so, one of the things you know, I I always I've always been interested in practice ownership. Uh, I one of the things that that really attracted me to vet medicine was this idea that you could captain your own ship. I think it was really it was, um, my father was a physician, uh, but he he had his own little surgery center that was just him and you know two nurses and he just you know small town North Carolina and that's what he did and I think there's something beautiful about that and so that type of autonomy I, I think has always been really interesting uh, and, and really I don't know it's always sort of I had a romantic view of it I guess and then the other part of it is when we talk about I look a lot at student debt for veterinarians and the whole time that I was coming up and student debt was getting larger, a lot of people were going, oh, well, you know, there's an easy way out of this and it's practice ownership. And and I always thought that was a little bit of mischaracterization of the truth, but but I, I got the concept of it. And so now I'm looking at increased corporatization in vet medicine. And um, I what I wanted to do was talk to you a little bit about how that changes this uh, independent business owner landscape. And is practice purchase or practice ownership in going forward how viable is that going to be is it going to be widespread um i'm i'm starting to hear a lot more about different models where there is equity inside sure. of corporate practices things like that those are the conversations i want to have today is i kind of want to understand the landscape for owning equity in a vet practice going forward and so if you could start off can you can you sort of start at a 10,000 foot level and say tell me tell me the story of practice ownership matt just kind of the get me started on where we've been and, and where we're going. Yeah, yeah. Really happy to. I'm really excited that we get to have this conversation. Uh, it's it's a deep passion for me, practice ownership, uh, in large part why I'm with VMG today. Uh, it's such a tremendous opportunity to, I think, enhance the well-being of yourself, you know, as a, as a practice owner. And more importantly, to be put into a position where you can influence so much that happens within the practice. So, you know, so much of our conversations talks about, you know, veterinary and well-being, right? And I don't know if you've ever been in that this position, um, 
Andy around. Oh, I wish, I wish the the boss would do this. I wish the boss would do that. Oh, right. Yeah. The boss owner. You're in that position. You can make those changes that that you know so desperately crave. I, I will I will turn it back around too and say it's funny. Later in life, I learned that when you're the boss, you say things like, "Ah, oh, I wish the staff would do this. I wish I wish <laughs> the doctors would come along and do." It, it never ends. I got just. I always thought oh, when I I'm don't. the boss, it'll be easy. It's like no, it's not. It's not easy. No, no, it's, it's harder, right? But at least you're autonomous. <laughs> You've got autonomy there, or more or less, yes. right? You're always accountable yes. to somebody. Yeah, in, in consolidation, corporatization, it, it's definitely changing the landscape. Um, and I will say that I think there's there's plenty of room for every type of practice, for every size, um, every aspect of, of how you define ownership in this profession. You know, the number of veterinary practices continues to grow. Yes, the number of practices that are corporate continue to grow too, but so does the total number of practices that are here, um, you know, parallel with population increases of, of, of pets and demand for, for veterinary care. Uh, it, it's still such a tremendous runway of opportunity for someone aspiring to be a practice owner. Um, and, and I think we need to do a better job as a profession building those aspirations, right? And and I think building transparency and awareness around what it really means to be a practice owner, what it what it takes, what it involves, as well as you know the benefits that it imparts, right? I mean, you said it. You know, the the your father was the captain of his ship, right? But I don't yeah. know if this was your father's story. Like, I don't know if you had this these experiences with him before he you know owned his own practice and life after he owned his own practice, right? If you could share, like, if there was a big change in his overall well being and happiness or not. But I see it in veterinarians that become practice owners. It's amazing. So, okay. So let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Cause there's, there's, okay, so first of all, I, I still love the idea of being a business owner. I, one of the greatest, one of the greatest uh, things that I aspire to in my life is to create a wonderful workplace for p- other people like that. That just means yeah. a lot to me. I, I re I really want to create a, a great place for others to work in. And I, and I think that that's a, it's a responsibility, but it's also a, a passion project and it's, it's a worthy challenge. And then also, you know, I, I very much like, I like, I like the autonomy of, of, of making this into the image that I want it to be. And so I, I have a business ownership has been a wonderful challenge that, that I've been very glad that I, that I, that I took on. Uh, at the same time, it, it is, it, it is a challenge. We had, um, I had a guest on a while back, and uh, and then I had another guest on who argued with the first guest. And the reason was, uh, and I, I'm trying to remember uh, where the original statistic came from, but basically there were, we, were, we were going over some data on burnout. And the data yeah. that was presented said that, um, that the practice owners were less likely to burn out than other uh, than other professionals. And so one of my later guests said, I heard that on the podcast and I thought that can't be true. So he contacted the first guest and what was told was the way that burnout is calculated is uh, your plans to, is planning to leave the job. And so, so practice owners <laughs> didn't, didn't burn out because they didn't plan to leave the job because the barriers <laughs> to exit were much higher. And so anyway, uh, I just, I, when I, I think that that's an interesting sort of way to talk about does practice ownership make people happier? Are, are there, are there these psychological benefits? Yeah. What, what, what's baked into those numbers? 
Well, it can, right? And it can also make your life miserable as can any decision that you embark on in life, right? Like, but I don't know. I have to go back to that podcast episode. Uh, you know, I can see the data that the AVMA, because I helped collect and analyze that data years ago when I was with the AVMA around well-being metrics for associates versus practice owners. And it was, it was very clear that well-being in terms of lower burnout, higher levels of compassion, satisfaction, it was clear in practice owners. And it wasn't about whether or not they were wanting to leave the profession. We we compiled those metrics based on the professional quality of life um, okay. survey, the pro quality. And so lots goes into that, a number of different variables and indicators there. And what we always we saw, and the AVMA still continues to see over time, is that practice owners have lower burnout and higher overall levels of, of well-being. Um, and, and, you know, I, I kind of chalk it up again to this captain of your ship, you know, uh, in, in control of your own destiny kind of thing. Now, it doesn't mean that's always going to be the case, right? Like, sure, you you could be in a very difficult situation as a practice owner and be very miserable and, and maybe want completely out of it. I think like all things, it depends on the actions that you take, the people that you work with and the culture uh, of, that you create within your business. I think, you know, it revolves around how that, how that looks. It's funny. I think that that sort of tracks with my experience. There's definitely a, there's a lot more stress on your shoulders of making payroll and, you know, being you carry a lot of responsibility. But I, yeah, I, I, I guess I can I can definitely buy into the idea that autonomy uh, and the ability to impact your surroundings much at a much greater level than other people who work in the practice are. I, I can definitely see that being a, something that would that would keep people in, in business ownership and that could increase overall satisfaction. You know, I, I heard a story not long ago and it was, it was heartbreaking. So one of my friends, uh, was going to buy the veterinary practice that she worked in and, uh, she's an associate vet and she saved up for like three years to be able to get the, the down payment that she needed to, to buy this practice. You can probably see where this is going. And, uh, so then it was time to do the evaluation on the practice and they did and, and, and her, you know, her numbers worked out, but, um, there were uh, corporate buyers who were also interested in the practice and it sort of came around at, this, at, at around the same time that, that she was going to try to make this, make this purchase. And they came through and offered multiples well above what she was able to pay. And so, you know, it was something like, um, let's say the practice was valued at $2 million and they came in, they were like, we'll give you 3 million. And, and the owner said to my friend, can you match that? And my friend was like, no, I can't. Like the bank won't loan me that much money. And, and, and yeah. so it, the practice was sold to this other group. And there's not a villain in this story. I, I really don't. I, I don't think, I think any of us can look at a veterinarian trying to retire and say, well, you should have left a million dollars on the table. Right. Uh, you know, right. and, and I, if I, would, I would have been heartbroken just like my friend was. And I don't think that she was wrong. And I don't think I, I don't blame her if she, if she feels resentful. Um, but but I, I hear these types of stories. So, Matt, can can you comment on some of the challenges of being of, of purchasing a practice today, of, of coming into practice ownership in the modern era? Yeah. I mean, and you named probably the, the biggest one there, which, you know, are these what seem to be absurdly large multipliers that, you know, no individual average human being can can compete with you know especially when you're looking at private equity groups with deep pockets right that have seemingly endless ca cash flow to to pour into um, veterinary medicine um and i think that definitely creates some frictions and difficulties uh, I, you know i think our current environment around you know inflation and you know whether or not you know we are in or will soon be in a recession 
may may soften what we're seeing there in terms of you know consolidation and and multipliers but you know it, it pains me to hear stories like that and 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 I, and yet it's it shouldn't be a deterrent either it didn't work out in that instance so try smaller try a different try yeah. buying into a different practice right something that it doesn't have quite the you know the the multipliers on it um and, and you're right you, you mentioned she was saving up for a few years i mean it's definitely a long-run plan this isn't something you can think about wanting to do and then two years later you do it like and this is why i think we need to talk more about it and instill this you know in in the schools in the program so that you can be on at a minimum a five-year plan you know post-graduation so that you can start preparing the saving, looking at, at, at loan options, um, the opportunities are out there. Yeah. Can you, so I want to step back here for a second. Um, can you define the term private equity? I know we throw that term around a lot. I, I don't know uh, how many people know exactly what that means when we say, oh, private equity has deep pockets. Uh, tra- translate yeah. that for me if you don't mind. Yeah. So, you know, loosely, private equity being um, a collection of investors pulling their money together um, and then investing in different areas where they'll 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 buy up assets they'll potentially restructure those assets invest in those assets uh, build efficiencies uh, uh, create more profit um, from them and then sell those assets you know at a gain I mean that's basically what private equity is trying to yeah. do they're not generally in the long run they're here to come in make an investment and generate a return within you know a three to you know 10 year time horizon um, and even 10 years might might be pushing it so um, I mean and that basically it hey guys I just want to hop in really quick and give a quick plug the Uncharted Veterinary Conference is coming in April guys I founded the Uncharted Veterinary Conference in 2017 it is a one of a kind conference it is all about business it is about internal communications working effectively inside your practice if you're a leader that means you can be a medical director it means you can be an associate vet who really wants to work well with your technicians it means you can be a head technician a head CSR you can be practice owner, practice manager, multi-site manager, multi-site medical director. We work with a lot of those people. This is all about building systems, setting expectations to work effectively with your people. Guys, Uncharted is a peer mentorship conference. That means that we come together and there is a lot of discussion. We create a significant percentage of the uh, schedule, the agenda at the event, which means we're going to talk about the things that you are interested in. Uh, it is, always, as I said, business communication focused, but uh, lots of freedom inside that to make sure that you get to talk about what you want to talk about. We really prioritize people being able to have one-on-one conversations to pick people's brains, to get advice from people who have wrestled with the problems that they are currently wrestled with. We make all that stuff happen. If you want to come to a conference where you do not sit and get lectured at, but you work on your own practice, your own challenges, your own growth and development. That's what Uncharted is. Take a chance. Give us uh, give us a look. Come and check it out. It is in April. I'll put a link in the show notes for registration. Um, ask anybody who's been. It's something special. All right. Let's get back into this episode. What do you see as the role in private equity going forward? So we saw private equity coming in and spending a lot of money in the last couple of years. Is that is that going to continue as you look into your crystal ball? Are we going to continue to see this type of investment? Is this sort of a short-term play? Does this create opportunities for practice ownership among veterinary professionals in interesting ways later on? Yeah. So I think veterinary medicine will always be 
and has been for quite a while a very attractive place for you know private investors, equity groups to um, invest in, uh, particularly because um, one, there's stable growth. You know, we continue to see the number of pets grow and demand for veterinary care grow. Um, it, it's also very you know recession resilient, not not recession proof. I don't think any market or industry really mm-hmm. is, but certainly resilient. And so in periods of economic downturn, sluggishness, um, it, it's a good place to invest in because it, you can maintain steady cash flows or at least um, mitigate losses that you would have in, in other industries and in other areas like you know travel, tourism, um, you know, entertainment, those things, you know, really take a nosedive during those types of economic environments. Yeah, but I, I think we will see some some slowing down here. Um, in large part, just tied to what's happening in our economy. Like we, we're the 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 ref the realm of cheap money is done, right? Like negative and zero interest rates. Like those those days are mm-hmm. over, and the money's more expensive now uh, because of inflation and what we're seeing happening there. And so it, you know it's, it's becoming more expensive to to invest. So I think that's going to naturally slow things down a bit. I, I also think eventually whether it's next year or a few years from now we're going to see some slowing down because you know the, the 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 top oil has been has been mined here so there's definitely a sweet yeah. spot that a lot of uh private investors are looking for medium-sized practices that you know have at least two to three doctors that they can grow um into something more and then sell at um you know at a, at a profit at a gain there and so you know that's been happening for years and so it's getting you know you know more difficult to find those practices still plenty of them out there but you know obviously more of them have come under some type of private equity umbrella over the last few years is is there uh opportunities with sort of private equity umbrellas if the idea is to sort of um turn these over for profit uh does that create opportunities for for independent practice purchase later on, or are those those practices? I know the idea is obviously to increase revenue, so they, they may be very well priced out outside of an independent uh, professional's you know purchasing price forever. But but yeah, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, a- absolutely. And you know, I, I'll, I'll add here when we look at you know corp what we call corporate practices, which I I just I never really liked that phrase because it's just mm-hmm. very. You know, misleading. I mean, the, really, the only true corporate practices out there are are the Mars practices. They're the only company mm-hmm. that's truly incorporated under the eyes of business law, right? Um, the others are 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 under private equity umbrellas, um, and they operate very differently than, than a than an incorporated business because they're managed by investors there. Um, and and here, touching on what you just asked, is you know opportunities to um, hold equity into that company are becoming more and more common. And it's changing, I think, the nature of what we think of as ownership. Yes, it's, it is still and always will be 100% independently owned business. Like that's very, that's still very much a part of, of veterinary medicine. And now we have this new landscape of ownership where you can maintain equity ownership um, into the practice or more increasingly into the parent company. That that's invested in that practice, and that's important to recognize, right? Um, because it's it's still an it's still under the umbrella of of ownership. Um, and what happens in the future is yes. So so 
inevitably, most of these investors will be looking to sell. So there may be opportunities to buy those practices back. Some of these may incorporate and and just become, you know, incorporated in true and true companies. They're selling to, you know, um, an outside an, an outside um, agency that's that's interested in that. So I, you know, the landscape's going to continue to change. That that's clear. Yeah. Can you can you give me some examples of what these types of equity programs would look like? So when we talk about uh, you know having equity inside of a larger corporation, um, it, everything from you know you said equity in an individual practice to to the larger company's whole. Could you give me give me kind of a a menu, if you will, of what these different options kind of look like. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like this, the sky's the limit here. I've seen many different types of, of structures um, in terms of how they're, how they're designed. Um, and, and I think it continues to evolve and, it, and that, that's going to that's gonna continue to unravel. I mean, I, I think the, the sort of the, the, the sort of the meat and potatoes of it, the, the 101 version of this is, you know, the owner sells uh, and to, to a private equity group. And that person maintains anywhere from a five to maybe fifteen percent like equity stake into that into that company into that you know organization, and so based on earnings at the end of every year, they receive you know equity um, value based on based on that. Um, more and more, what I'm seeing is that that's not just um, singled out to the owner, uh, the the owner that sold. I'm seeing equity uh, for professionals all across and some are offering equity ownership into the whole staff having a percent yeah. stake um in the earnings of of the company as well I, and i think we'll probably see that become more common because uh, it's an important obviously income stream for for people it's definitely um an, an incentive to recruit and retain people um that other businesses and practices may not be offering so it's going to help you kind of um compete for talent there so, it, but it can be designed any number of different ways, but ultimately it's based on the earnings of, of the company. Um, and then based on that, you receive like, you know, either a check or shares that can be paid out um, once you're, once you're vested, so to speak. So it, it totally makes sense. I've seen this a number, I've seen this a number of times with associate doctors, right? Because if you buy a practice and all the doctors leave, what if, you know, what if, what have you bought? Um in, in some ways. So I, I've definitely seen that and it definitely makes sense to me for a retention standpoint. So when we're talking about equity like this, the idea, like you said, is, is you would have ownership of this, uh, of this, either this individual practice or this larger entity. And then you would either get uh, a check, like a disbursement of funds, or you would convert to m more ownership, right? And so the, I guess the ultimate idea is this is your long-term investment. And later on, at some point, you'll be able to convert this as, as you sort of cash out your investment, correct? That's right. Yes. What are the what are there other upsides to to these types of deals? Are there things that people really like about them? Well, I think it keeps them connected, right? So you think about um, an owner who's selling and they've spent years building this this practice. It can be hard to to let go of that, and maybe some just want that, right? Like, I'm done. Yeah, I'm out. Go buy a yacht and sail or whatever, and that's fine. Uh, but for many. Um, they want to stay connected. They've built something and they want to continue to see it grow and, and succeed and not necessarily leave the people that they've built this with behind. I, I, so I think the biggest benefit to a structure like this is that it keeps them connected. And, and the investors gain from this too, because they don't necessarily want a complete vacuum 
of institutional knowledge here, right? Like they're not in the business of running practices. Um, they're in the businesses of helping them grow and then, you know, sit, sell them for a profit. They want the right people in place to help drive that mission forward. And oftentimes that, that involves keeping the people that have built this on the ground so that they can propel it to the next level. That that makes sense. Are there downfalls, uh, pitfalls, downsides to uh, to these types of deals that you see? Are people, uh, yeah, is there any small small print uh, problems that, that surface later on? Yeah. So I think some of the downsides to the investors can be, you know, when they find themselves um, suddenly having to uh, manage a practice and they don't know nothing about that business. Right. Um, and so that that can be challenging. Um, particularly in a, in a tepid economic climate like we're in, um, where maybe it's just the, the, the growth and demand wasn't what you thought it was. So you need to, you know, buckle down a little bit. But I think, you know, the downsides from, you know, the veterinarian who's who's in this is um, decision-making, if, if that's impacted, right? So obviously the investors are the majority here. Um, are, are Is everything top-down, right? And I think that's where these practices run a very wide distribution and why i say the corporate label is so unfair because it just it, yeah. it i think it creates this, this thought process of corporate telling the practice everything medical or non-medical right um and i think that's grossly unfair because there are so many that uh support and empower local level decision making within their practices right like they have their hr guidelines and they have their processes and procedures on any number of things but they empowered um, professionals, the veterinarian, to make the medically best decisions, to use what they feel is the best medicine. Um, and so if there was a downside there for them, it's the, the, the lack of that empowerment. But I'll say there are so many out there that support that type of empowerment, which is encouraging. So Matt, if you had a, a young veterinarian who came to you and he or she expressed it, expressed interest in practice ownership, and they said, well, you know, this is something I've always uh, looked forward to. Uh, you know, I, I like the autonomy. I like the idea of, of creating a culture and, and really having my hands in it. I want to work on something that I feel tied to or feel like I have, uh, you know, that I'm really able to put myself into. How would you advise that person? How would you, if they, if they said, I, I don't know how to get started, I don't even know what my options are. Can you, can you sort of lay out a basic advisement strategy you'd give? Yeah. And here's where talking to a financial advisor would be wonderful, I think, first and foremost, and, and having those conversations. Um, and if you haven't had one on, on your podcast, that would probably be an awesome next one to, to, to do. Um, I'd say, great, you know, start now, you know, there you can always save for something without knowing exactly what you're saving for, right? So just start yeah. saving. That's important. <laughs> um, and then and then be transparent. Talk to the owner. Let them know that this is what you're thinking of. And and try to find out if the owner is even interested in selling to you or to any any veterinarian for that matter. And you can get their, hopefully the cards out on the table now. And is there a future? I mean, it, there could always be that situation like you started with, with the young veterinarian friend that you mentioned. Um, where you think you're going to, but the sale doesn't work out. But either way, you can identify with your current owner if they're interested in that, and then you maybe can work towards a plan to do that in the next several years. And if not, you can start looking for other opportunities to buy into practices. Um, and you don't necessarily have to buy 100% outright, right? Like, So look for those opportunities where you could co-buy into a practice you know, with another doctor or, uh, you know, a number of other doctors there where you're, you're co-owning that practice 
together. Certainly in some ways that's more complicated, but it, it softens the blow in terms of what you need in order to, to, to buy into that, into that practice. And then talk to owners, understand sort of their, their history and their journey, what, what it's taken, what they find as the biggest challenges, what they find most worthwhile and rewarding about it. Um, and trying to get into that position of understanding the business more and more veterinary medicine. I think that's the important thing. Um, and very limited is given in the schools. This is really something that you you learn along the way, right or wrong. And so taking those opportunities to the extent that you can with your current owner and others to um, build that up, build that skill set up over time. Yeah. Are there any specific resources that you really like uh, for people to look out to uh, didactically? You're, yeah, you know, if, if they said, what should I read? Uh, yeah. Do you have favorite resources? Well, I, you know, I, I think being a student of leadership never, never hurts anybody. Right? So, you know, <laughs> I, I think learning more around leading people. And I think that's the biggest challenge for any and every owner they will tell you. Um, people, people are delightfully complicated. Um, and getting people to work together, um, in a way that, uh, is, um, brings it together engagement and a positive work like that. You've got to cultivate that. That doesn't necessarily usually happen on its own. And so I think learning around learning leadership is important. You can read books and you can attend webinars and things, but I think there's no better study for that than working under a great leader. And so if you're not, if you look at your leadership and you're just not happy, well, maybe you need to find another place where you can really learn what good leadership looks like. Um, and then understanding practical business, you know, uh, you know how to manage a profit and loss statement, a P&L. Um, I mean, that's definitely a, a skill set. Um, and, and understand, you know, the nature of, of strategy is really important around, you know, if you want to grow, what are the steps taken to support that growth? And then how do you execute on that? Right. So yeah. that that's a learned skill, right? And you can get a degree and you can get an MBA, but that doesn't mean you're going to be good at strategy and execution. Right. And so looking at opportunities to reinforce that will be an important um, avenue of opportunity. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Matt, thank you so much for being here. Where can people learn more about veterinary study groups? Where can they find you online? Yeah. Uh, at our website, veterinarystudygroups.com, learn more about our mission and vision and how we support uh, practice owners in the profession. And you can find me on LinkedIn where I occasionally post about data and the economy. And sometimes I'm funny with a dad joke here and there. Awesome. I'll put links in the show notes. Guys, take care of yourselves. Be well, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks so much. And that is our show, guys. That's what I got for you. I hope you enjoy it. Um, I hope you took something away from it. I, was, I hope it was interesting. Uh, as always, I love it if you leave me an honest review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. So it lets other people know about the show so they can find it and check us out. Anyway, gang, take care of yourselves. Be well. I'll talk to you later. Bye.